I want you to uh, imagine with me the Lord speaking to your single pastor. Let's say you had a single pastor. And God says to that pastor, I want you to go down to the red light district, which uh, is an English expression anyways, for the place where the prostitutes are. And uh, so the pastor goes down to the red light district and he looks and he sees this door and this woman and men lined up going in and going out from this woman. And God says to that single pastor, I want you to marry that whore. That's exactly what God did with Hosea the prophet. We come to a very interesting message. This would be the kind of message and the kind of Bible book that many preachers would skip over today. But as we're committed to expositing the Word of God, going book by book and chapter by chapter, we have to preach the good and the bad and the ugly. We can't skip over any of it. When I typed the word whore into my Word document, it said this word might be offensive to your readers. Okay, so even Microsoft Word is aware of offensive words. And it makes me think, how bad could Israel have been that such an offensive word had to be used upon his own people? And one of the things that we struggle with and that modern man struggles with is understanding the severity and the evil of sin. In Israel themselves, the very people of God didn't get it. They didn't get it. And God sent gentle nudges and then firmer nudges. And now at this point, as Israel is going straight down the tubes, God is sending his final prophets to his people to wake them up. And he uses this image of a of a whore. Say, this is what you have become. So we need to hear from the Lord in Hosea, not simply to understand why God rejected Israel, but we also need to understand the consequence if we choose to walk away from the Lord. And I am going to have a message for each of you, and I'm going to speak particularly to you covenant children at the end of the message and those who have grown up in the church, but who maybe whose hearts are thinking about wandering away. I want to speak to that in the end. So we're going to first look at Hosea in terms of what this idea of whoredom meant. There's a symbolic act, which is Hosea marrying a prostitute. We're going to look at that first, and then we're going to look at how God specifies what this whoring is for the Israelites. But then at the end, we're also going to see that God, even here, promises mercy and compassion. And we're going to tie this in to what Jesus has done for the church at the end. So let's begin uh, with looking at Hosea's marriage, which symbolizes the Lord in Israel. Hosea's marriage to Gomer symbolizes the Lord and Israel. So in chapter 1, this unthinkable thing 
happens. Where we read in chapter 1, verse 2, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so this interesting sign act is what starts Hosea's prophetic ministry. Now, as we read about this, it might seem a little bit shocking. But to the Israelites, it may not have been as shocking. Because the Israelites were regularly going to the cultic prostitutes to worship the gods of the surrounding nations. So cultic prostitution was part of the fertility religions of the ancient Near East. So the idea was, you know, you sleep with this person and then the God will give you fertile crops and abundant children and so on and so forth. And we've seen this a lot in the Old Testament already as we've been working through the Old Testament together. It's quite likely that Gomer herself was one of these cultic prostitutes. And this, we have this reality, it's not merely an image for the Israelites, of men lining up to sleep with the prostitutes. Israelites, the very people of God, lining up to sleep with these prostitutes. And Hosea, or God tells Hosea to go down and marry one of these prostitutes. And he goes down and marries Gomer here in chapter 1. Skipping over to chapter 3. Homer, true to for, or Gomer, true to form, does not remain faithful to Gomer. And in chapter, to Hosea, sorry, uh, he does not re, Gomer does not remain faithful to Hosea. And so Hosea is commanded to redeem her again. In chapter 3, verse 1, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. And the meaning of Hosea's command to Gomer was to represent what God was going to do to Israel. In the verses that follow in chapter 3, we read, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. One commentator put it like this, uh, with this command that you must dwell as mine. And the commentator says, this has the, a force of a command. The segregation of Gomer and Israel will lead to her purification, rededication, and renewal. The segregation will be an extensive, will be an extensive, though undefined, time of the absence of those things that constitute Israel's apostasy, namely king and prince who failed in keeping Israel faithful to the Lord, sacrifice which they offered to the Baals, the cult pillar, 
popular in Canaanite religion, the ephod which degenerated into a tool of magical rites and household gods. And, and he goes on from there. But all, these are all the ways that Israel played the whore with Yahweh. And all these things are going to be taken away for a time. And yet even here in these early chapters, we have a hope of redemption. Hosea's marriage symbolizes the Lord and Israel. We've seen in the prophets so far that time and time again, the Lord gives the prophets some interesting kinds of sign acts that we did. We saw one where Jeremiah had to lay on his side and cook his bread over human dung and make this, eat this undefiled bread to symbolize the undefiled, or the defiled, thank you, defiled bread to symbolize the defiled food that they would eat in the surrounding nations. And now we have another interesting sign act with Hosea's marriage to Gomer. And in chapter 2, we learn more of the interpretation of what this sign act would mean. In chapter 2, we learn that this means that the Lord will judge. In chapter 2, verse 13, we read, And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. But also in this marriage, as Hosea goes back and redeems Gomer, we also learn in chapter 2 that the Lord will show a likewise mercy. In chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. One of the statements there that stands out to me is that he will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Do you remember what's significant about the valley of Achor? It's where Achan uh, held on to some household gods, and his whole family was burned in the valley of Achor. And this happened in, uh, in Joshua as they were preparing to enter the land. And Joshua's earliest days began with problems with idolatry that's symbolized here. And yet what the Lord is saying is, I'm going to overturn this symbol. The valley of Achor has, has symbolized the Lord's destruction and punishment on God's people for idolatry. And he's going to reverse that and make it a door of hope. A door of hope. Let's turn now to consider the nature more in depth of Israel's idolatry. So the second point of this message is that Hosea preaches that God will judge spiritual adulterers. Hosea preaches that God will judge spiritual adulterers. So we've got a taste of the nature of the spiritual adultery, but I want to look into it a little more in depth. And chapter 4 is illustrative of 
the whole. It gives us really a rundown of all of Israel's problems there. One major issue with the Israelites was intellectual and moral decay. Intellectual and moral decay. Chapter 4 opens up. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. So he's laying out, as it were, his lawsuit or his charges against the Israelites. And the first one, he goes on, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. So that is quite a litany of allegations. The first one being, they have broken the covenant. When we read these first words of faithfulness and steadfast love, this is this Hebrew word, hesed. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the Lord's covenant love. Israel has broken hesed with God, and they've shown no faithfulness to such a degree that the Lord can say through Hosea, there's not even any knowledge of God in the land. So imagine that picture, that you are the very people of God. You are the heirs and the holders of the oracles of God, of the law of Moses, recipients of the prophetic message and God's indictment as there is no knowledge of me in the land. Rather, in its place, is a whole litany of sins. Swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. You know, in its, in its own kind of rehash, reminding us of the Ten Commandments. All this stuff is being broken. And not just slightly, but they break all bounds. So they are arrogantly, boastfully, unashamedly violating the law of God. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. So this is the intellectual and moral decay that Israel has undergone. Intensifying this a little bit, there's also an indictment against the priests. An indictment against the priests who should be leading the people of God in right worship. The priests are being accused of being derelict of their duty in chapter 4, Verse 4, yet let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. So now God is turning his gaze directly to the spiritual leaders of God's people. With you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. That would be the false prophets that they're listening to. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. These same words could be spoken to so many Christian leaders today who have substituted the law of God for man-pleasing, man-centered messages, 
preaching to people with itching ears, to use Paul's language to Timothy, who want their own teachers to suit their own passions, to justify homosexuality, to justify all manner of ungodliness, to justify abortion. I saw someone share a billboard in California that was promoting abortion and underneath was a Bible verse. I believe, I don't remember the Bible verse exactly. I think it was that I would, I desire, no, it said greater love has no one than this, than that he who lays his life down for his friends. Talk about the vile twisting of the word of God. Those ministers in state churches that say all roads lead to Rome, to God. All religions are equal. This is the religious world that we swim in. And it's the exact same world of apostate whoring Israel. And priests are leading the way in the whoredom. The people of God are being destroyed for lack of of knowledge. The word of God is being taken away from the people and they are being starved out on McDonald's fast food meals that will kill them in the end. And the Lord says to Israel as much as he says to any wayward priest or church, and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So we've seen Israel's spiritual adultery constituting intellectual and moral decay, the priestly dereliction of duty, the rejection of the word of God. But also, as chapter 4 goes on, we see an insatiable lust for evil. 4 verse 7, The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And chief of all in this insatiable lust for the evil and the ways of the world that we still see around us today celebrated and propounded as good and loving, calling evil good, and so many so-called Christians supporting the calling of evil good. Chief of all was the love for pagan worship. And in chapter 4, verse 10, the prophet goes on, They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, And their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides 
when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. So we see laid out in chapter 4 in lurid detail the nature of Israel's abominable practices, intellectual and moral decay, priestly dereliction of duty, and insatiable lust for evil, and above all, the cherry on the top, the love for pagan worship, cultic prostitution. We've seen other places, the sacrifice of their own children to the god Moloch to bring so-called prosperity. All of these things are things that still happen today. You know, I think Tim Keller rightly said in one of his books that uh, human sacrifice happens every day in New York City, both through, uh, both through uh, abortion, but also through either men or women abandoning their families for the pursuit of power and money and wealth and fame. You know, these things spiritually are just the same today. And so what is the consequence of turning away from the Lord and playing the whore? Well, it's judgment. We read in chapter 9 that Israel is going to go into exile. Chapter 9, verse 16, Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. So because Israel time and time again has refused to listen to the word written, the law of Moses, or to the word spoken through the prophets, God will send them finally into exile and they'll be wanderers among the nations. More than that, the land will be destroyed. All the, the wicked filth of the northern kingdom shall be wiped away. Uh, sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, the, you'll read the word Samaria or Ephraim, and those will stand symbolically for the whole northern ten tribes that makes Israel in this, in this period of time. And so we read in chapter 10, verse 7, Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of of the waters, the high places of Aven, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. In fact, this, this judgment itself will prefigure the final judgment that will come at the end of days. We read in, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, and the generals and the rich and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks. And here John alluding to Hosea, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And even before that, in the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, when Jerusalem's rebuilt, Herod's temple is built up and will be destroyed by the Romans, the same language comes out when Jesus speaks in Luke 23. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren 
and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. And so just in case any of us are tempted to think, well, this judgment will just be for Israel, but now God's more merciful and we can do our thing and he's more like a loving grandpa and a rocking chair up in heaven as some people foolishly believe. The same judgment's going to come to anyone who rejects the Lord. Even if you started out as a Christian, or even if you have a Jewish heritage and you reject the Messiah, the same judgment is going to come upon you that came upon Israel in 722 when the Assyrian Empire came and wiped out and destroyed the northern kingdom. All right, so we've gotten a lot of hard stuff so far. I want to end with some happy news. As a third point, Hosea preaches that God will show mercy to the penitent. Hosea preaches that God will show mercy to the penitent. And sprinkled throughout Hosea's ministry, as we have in this book, are glimmers of hope where God will show compassion to those who repent. And he will bring back his people and restore them and make them as the sand that covers the shore and the sea. We see the Lord showing compassion in a couple ways. One, that he will call his people home. In chapter 11, we read, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. We have this great picture of a lion that follows in the next verse. They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Syria. And I will return them to their home, declares the Lord. A lot of you guys know that I love photography. It's one of my, like when I, my brain's tired of study. I need to go out and do something that's just kind of healing and, and restoring. I love landscape photography. and I love shooting pictures of wildlife and the rare opportunities when I get it. And sometimes you can't get wildlife, so you need to go to a zoo. And when we lived in Wichita, we had a great zoo. And one of the, the central features of the zoo was the lion's den, where there was a pair of, of lions there. And uh, I, one of my favorite pictures I have of a close-up of the lion, I wish he was roaring, but he was yawning, and he just shows these huge teeth. It just I'm glad I'm on the other side of the glass, because I wouldn't want to be in his mouth. Just these huge canine-type teeth. But we were at the zoo one time and away from the lion's den and all of a sudden we just heard this and everyone flocked to the lion's den to just behold. It was both like terrifying but amazing. Everyone in the zoo in that area just ran to see what just happened. 
And that's the image we have here. The Lord is going to come and roar like a lion. And his people are going to come from east and west, trembling, but also joyous that their God has returned. The Lord will call his people from the four corners of the earth and bring them home when he roars on the day of his coming. But we also learn as we reflect more broadly on the biblical text and look at the New Testament, that that roaring, that calling of people home will not merely be from among the Jews, but it will also be from Gentiles like you and me. And I hope you noticed that in the scripture reading this morning, that as Paul is defending before Jews in Rome what on earth is going on with the, with the gospel and with the Messiah, that all these Gentiles are flocking in and taking positions of leadership and being in the church. And there's a huge struggle in Rome. A big reason why Paul writes to Rome in the first place is to heal this Jew-Gentile issue. And he's defending the gospel and God's plan for both Jews and Gentiles in chapters 9 to 11. And in the midst of that, he quotes Hosea. And you read in chapter 9, verse 22. What if God, and now God's speaking of even pagan, untrue Israelites here. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. In the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. You know, when Hosea married Gomer and had children of whoredom, God gave his children some interesting names. And those names themselves were not just symbols of judgment, but also symbols of mercy. For in that last child, we find our own hope to be part of the people of God. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So the lion and the lamb has already begun the roar. And he is in the work since his first coming of calling his people from the ends of the earth. Our church here itself represents that. People coming from every corner of the globe, united together by a bond deeper than familial blood, by the blood of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And our very hope to be part of his people was foretold in Hosea and made clear in Romans. That when he roars, we don't need to tremble for judgment, but we can come to him in the spirit of mercy. But the way that we come to him is not through arrogance. It's not through a a self-reliance in our own goodness. It's through repentance. And that's how the book of Hosea ends, with a call 
to repentance. Chapter 14, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls and vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, Our God, to the work of our hands. And you, the orphan, finds mercy. And Hosea then ends with a call to wisdom. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. So the book ends with a call to wisdom. Whoever is wise, let him understand. God is speaking to some hard-hearted people using some very vivid, uh, almost I would say disgusting language for sensible, civilized people. You know, I had an interesting experience this week, which some of you know about because I've told you already, but I was waiting for some of my Trinity friends to arrive at a parking garage and I was standing walking around in these Tesla parking spaces, which I feel are kind of obnoxious, but that's another, another story. But I'm standing, walking around, and on the phone, connecting and coordinating with people and talking to Peter and so forth. And uh, I hang up, and this taxi cab driver who had backed his Tesla in uh, and was charging it started talking to me. Which is really weird. I've never had a Norwegian just out of the blue talk to me since I've been here. (laughs) And he goes over, he's like, are you a Tesla rep or something? I'm like, no, actually, I think this is kind of obnoxious. You've taken all these parking places for regular people and gave them to the elites who can buy Teslas. He goes, well, it's free for me. You know, it's like very self-centered. Well, I like it. It's free for me. But I said, he's like, what are you doing here then? I'm like, well, I'm a preacher. And he said, oh, that doesn't work in this country. He said, that doesn't work in this country. He's a Norwegian. He's got a cigarette. He's just bold-faced. That doesn't work. He says, when I die, I'm going to go and visit my friends. I said, well, it doesn't quite work like that. I'm like, you need a mediator, brother. He said, you need, you need the Lord. He's like, no, no, no. And he, and he just bold-faced, hard heart. And you know, the reality of what I should, you know, you always think of the best things to say someone after the fact. But the reality is he's, he's right in a sense. It won't work without a miracle. It won't work. None of what we're doing will work without the miracle of grace. But God is giving you who are hearing an opportunity for grace. And the call is to repent and to walk with him and follow him. And so I want to end with some application for some different people here in our group. I want to speak to you first, covenant children. You are here not because maybe you wanted to come here or you made the decision, but you're here because your parents brought you. But you've also been blessed because the Lord has allowed you to be born into a covenant home. But you know, at some point, you're going to need to make the choice on are you going to follow the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? And I can tell you what, that voice to follow the way of the world is strong. It is strong. And it's coming 
even more strongly in our debauched age. The things that my kids hear in school are shocking. They're things I never heard. I don't think I even heard in college. And it's going to be the same for, for you as well. The pull of the world, the pull of what is visible, the pull for popularity, the pull for intellectual uh, acceptance by affirming the pillars of modern intellectual thought is very strong, you know. And you adults too, you know what it's like in the workplace to feel the temptation to just go with the flow. You need to make the choice. Are you going to play the whore and follow the world? Even if you're so-called named as a Christian, or are you going to repent and follow the Lord? So that's my encouragement to you young ones. Don't rest on your parents' faith and don't follow the wisdom of the world. You need to make the faith your own and follow the Lord. I will stop. I could go on more on on that point. I want to talk to you communing members. Not only is it your duty to follow the Lord, but it's also your duty to bear witness to the truth wherever God places you. One One of the things that was most odious for the Israelites was this syncretism of worship. Where on one hand, like, yeah, we'll do Yahweh worship. But on the other hand, we'll, we'll do these things that please the pagans too. And they thought they could have both things and just kind of mix it together. And it's, it's a problem in this world where you, you, know, you can come to church on Sunday or you can come to a church event, get all gussied up and look right, but your heart is hardened against God. You, immediately you go out in the world and you live like the world. And that, too, is spiritual whoring. And you need to take a stand for truth wherever you are and be faithful to God, whether a minister is watching or your Christian friends watching or not. So I plead with you to hear these warnings from Hosea. For you who are an onlooker, who are not sure where you are, Know that judgment is coming, but that there's no need for you to be judged. The call is to repent, and that's not just an offer for Jews or people who grew up in the church. It's a call to anyone, and this, friends, is a call that we can share with those in the world. Repent. God will show mercy upon you. That arrogant position of God's not there is not going to hold up on the day of judgment. God will not show mercy to the agnostic who says, well, I just didn't know. We know. God's given us his revelation and creation to leave each one of us without excuse that he is there. He has manifested his goodness, his wisdom, and his power so that no one, as Paul says, is without excuse. That's a helpful thing to know if you're doing evangelism or apologetics as well. The person cursing you to your face knows that there is a God. He just refuses to acknowledge it. And you can pray for God to do the miracle work of conversion as you share the truth with the obstinate. Lastly, for the apostate, 
the, the, the spiritual whoredom is a, is a vivid word picture of a theological word called apostasy. It's one who falls away. Israel has fallen away. But even to those that have chosen to walk away, God will show mercy to some of them. And the same is true today. I know some of you have siblings who, or loved ones or parents who were once in the church who are, or who have walked away. I know some of you have talked about Norway as a, covenant, a nation once in covenant with God who still baptizes children, but no longer for faith reasons, but for cultural reasons, but nevertheless is still in a state of covenant and is breaking that covenant with God. And so we need to call our brothers, or I should say, we need to call our, our fellow citizens and our neighbors and you Norwegians, to your Norwegian neighbors and to your fellow Norwegian people, to return to the covenant, to repent of the breaking of it and return to the one who was once their God. On the day of judgment, everyone will have been given a fair chance. God is calling the world to repentance. God has manifested his goodness in the world so that there is no excuse. The call is to repent and the call is to persevere in the faith and no longer play the whore. And I pray, friends, as this church and as this denomination, I sure hope God would never have to come down and call us a group of whores as ugly as that sounds, as harsh as that sounds, I pray that the Lord would allow us to be faithful generation after generation as a church and as families. May God do that miracle among us till our Lord returns and delivers us from the evil that surrounds us. Let's pray.